Nation, Red Pill. You know us, just two guys going beyond conspiracy theories, getting right into the heart of the conspiracy itself. I'm Jason Spears, my co-host Christopher Dean. Battle ready. Join us as we go behind enemy lines to reveal the truth about another aspect of this occult matrix as we discuss in this week's Christian Conspiracy Coalition. Marriage, family, and the foods that feed them. Marriage, gender roles, fertility, and our foods. Are they simply evolving or are they systematically under attack and being modified by the forces of darkness? We're going to talk about this and much more coming up right here on on Operation Red Pill. Ladies, gentlemen, everyone from across the podverse, welcome back to another episode of Operation Red Pill, where we like to take you beyond conspiracy theories and getting you right up into the heart of the conspiracy itself. Now, I know you've been sitting back. You said, hey, them boys at Operation Red Pill have been throwing down. They have been delivering hits week after week after week. And I can't wait to see what they're going to do with a coalition. Well, we're here to tell you we're not going to disappoint. We've got a lot of things to talk about. See, we need to discuss marriage, divorce, and the waning support of Western culture towards the family unit, which is actually causing a social distortion of traditional gender roles, and it's allowing for ancient genetics and the corruption of our food to contribute to an overall goal. Now, how are we going to unfold that into an episode? I don't know. And before we can even get into that, Christopher Dean is out right now putting together in a very little George Bush-esque way a coalition of the informed. He's got them together. They're in little briefing rooms. I believe some are even in a library huddle room where they have to be quiet as they do some clandestine research to get us the info that we need. But as y'all do every week, I need you to assist me in getting Christopher Dean the signal. You got to put your hands together so he knows to come on out and start this show. So, ladies, if you hear me, if you're with me, put your hands together for Christopher Adam Dean. Hey, bro, how's it going? Man, you sound like you're out of breath out there. What's going on, baby? <laughs> Yeah, waiting for my, my heart rate to go back down. I mean, uh, putting this stuff together, doing the research, sometimes it can be difficult, you know? You know, you are doing the Lord's work, not the work that we mentioned a few episodes ago, but you still are out <laughs> here making sure you get all the info that we need. And that's tough work in today's day and age. Yeah, I'm trying to hold it down. We do appreciate your efforts, Christopher. Thank you. Thank you. Feels good it to be appreciated. Not an easy task. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I, on the other hand, do nothing for the show, but we appreciate your efforts. <laughs> I would disagree with that for sure. OK, that's cool. I can go with that. We do appreciate your immediate survey. Christopher, <laughs> got to switch subjects here. OK, we've got to talk about some things today that I don't know if the people's is ready for. Yeah, they may not be. They might not be. But it's OK, because I think most of our audience has gotten used to not being ready for whatever we're going to discuss. <laughs> the 
they're prepared for the unexpected. But see, we got caught up in this unexpected thing because we got some feedback last time we did one of these Christian Conspiracy Coalition episodes. Got some really strong feedback from the listenership saying how much they liked it. So I thought it might be a good idea for us to do a little double header. You know, we deal with so much esoteric stuff on here. Sometimes you got to slow it down and switch gears, right? Uh huh. You got to give the people a little bit of an emotional breather so they don't think it's all doom and gloom. We got to talk about some other things that are going on besides the sexy esoteric stuff. And since we got so much positive feedback on the last Christian Conspiracy Coalition episode, we figured we'd do something special and do a two week double header where we got Drew. He's going to come in and actually put together with your help a coalition of the well-informed. And we're going to talk about some very provocative things over the next couple of weeks. I think it sounds good. Well, man, since you think it sounds good, I think it sounds great. Why don't we just turn this right over to Drew? Let's do it. Welcome to Christian Conspiracy Coalition, a place where the best minds in conspiracy realm gather together to share and discuss their faith, Christianity, and the spiritual war thrust upon humanity. Let us go around the table. First of all, we have Christopher and Jason lads over at Operation Red Pill. Welcome, gentlemen. How's it going? Very good, guys. Welcome back again. You guys are repeat offenders at this stage, and thank you for taking your very, very important time to come on the show again. Really appreciate it. No problem. It's our pleasure. Next up, we have the ginger who brings fire to everything she does, Julia from the Cosmic Peach Podcast. Julia, welcome. Hi, thanks so much for having me, Drew. This is my first official appearance. I only popped on for like 10 minutes the first time, so I'm really excited for this episode. Great to have you on. And next up, we have the homeschooling extraordinaire, mother and my very own co-host of my second podcast, The Homeroom Educating Educators, Kaylee. Welcome, Kaylee. Awesome. Thanks for having me. How many no podcasts do you have? Um, how many fingers have I got? Let's have a look. <laughs> uh, three, I think. Three in total. Three, probably too many. My, my idea is don't put out quality, put out as many as you can, and then you're just going to hit the whole market and someone's going to hear about your name somewhere. So basically what I'm getting is that you're the Marvel of podcasts. <laughs> I am the Marvel <laughs> of podcasting. That's, that's what's up? It's called the scattergun approach, I think is the term. <laughs> yes, yes. Spray and pray. It's not for real. Scattergun <laughs> approach. <laughs> uh, all right. I'm going to start off with a little bit of scripture that's kind of narrowed down our topics for today. Matthew 22, 37 to 40 says, You shall love your Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Today, we're going to break down three really important topics that I think flow onto each other and we'll form a great little picture of uh, what I think will be a fantastic conversation today. Marriage, the attack on the traditional family, and GMO foods. All right. So let's start off with marriage. For many Christians, marriage is much more than an, a civil contract which is a, with legal benefits that associates with it. Marriage is an essential part of God's plan, and the Bible teaches us that God's expectations regarding marriage are given through practical relationship advice. Yet we see in the modern world marriage breakdowns, partnerships destroyed, and people feeling broken and destroyed by the relationships that they've been in is a constant trend. 
Within the United States, the divorce rate sits somewhere between 40 to 50%, with the average marriage lasting 19 years before separation or divorce occurs, while in Australia, it sits roughly at 48%, with the average marriage lasting anywhere from 8 to 12 years. So what's driving this? Is this the case of the modern Western culture? Is that many couples don't actively marry anymore? What does the whole point of modern day marriage mean to the world? Let's get stuck into it. Would anyone like to start? I have to be honest with you. The most, I guess, greatest struggle that I have, and everybody has struggles, but there are so many parts of the Bible that people like to argue about. And the one that I struggle with the most is marriage because I love my husband, but it is sometimes for me like having a permanent toddler to look after. And I'm like, why the hell did I do this? Why, why, why did I do this? But then, you know, we come back together and we're like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And it works itself out. But I just think from my perspective, why marriage is crumbling is a lot of people are growing up not witnessing true marriage as children and they don't know how to be in a true marriage when they're my age and it's time for them to pick someone to get married to. They don't know what values they're looking for. They don't know what spir- like spiritual fulfillment they're looking for in an- another person. It's like driven based on sexuality or finances or this, that, and the third thing. And they don't know that a marriage is between you and the other person and God. So if you don't have all three of those things going into the marriage, it's going to fail. Yeah, I think you're spot on. I don't know. What- um, mm-hmm. I was going to say, I think being in a, not just a, a culture, you know, speaking from, an American perspective, but even larger than that, being in a world that is ran by esoteric values and, and occult teachings, so much of that is directly designed to overthrow biblical standards and to obscure the biblical reality from the creator God that's set up. So we get things starting off with the fact that we don't have a creator. We were taught that we're evolutionarily developed. We are able to pick our own rules, survival of the fittest. And now we're even questioning the basic pair bonding structure of our reality with male, female. That's just on a physical plane. Then you add to it the fact that most people are not taught to be mature adults. It's like the empty self is constantly developed. They're, 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 uh, they're narcissistic. They're infantile. They, they don't develop the inner mind. We're too busy to actually develop who we are. We don't think much anymore. You put all of that into the powder keg of a marriage where you have to be a grown up and you're asking for trouble. On top of that, we get conditioned from like zero to 20 to only be about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And then if you do find mm-hmm. somebody, like you said, it's not about their characters. It's not about their their spirit, man. Of course, we won't even recognize the fact in Western culture that you even have a spirit. So we're only relegated then to your physical body. If you ain't got cakes. I'm sorry, that's a that's a code word. If if you don't have a figure, <laughs> then I don't think you qualify. So everything becomes sensual driven, right? And that is mm-hmm. a powder cake for problems. And then of course, we've got the we've got the sexualizing sexualizing 
We have the over-sexualization of our culture. And we have also the fact that we are birthing people at an alarming rate as we're children, so to speak, especially from a psychological perspective. And if we're not discarding them mm. into the toilet or throwing them into Planned Parenthood, then you got kids raising kids, which is just a huge, huge setup for a destructive environment. And then you got people like, I, I don't even want to be married. And if I do get married, I don't have a good example right. of what it means to be married. At best, mm -hmm. maybe I'll be like Jay-Z and Beyonce, which is not a good example. Or maybe <laughs> I'll be like something else I saw on TV. And you don't, nobody's going to go back to scripture. Nobody's going to look at what does it really mean to be married. Nobody's going to really think you're going into an environment that is basically death. They'll look at it as a yeah, war. Well, it's, it's like, I don't know when it happened. Obviously, it happened in the recent past. But my grandparents' generation were very traditionally married people. Mm-hmm. And my grandpa was a pastor and I grew up in church and I grew up watching my grandma and grandpa be very strong. You know, my grandma was the pastor's wife, but there was so much she did behind the scenes for my grandpa because he was running a church. Mm -hmm. And then my mom was married twice and they were very upset at her for getting divorced the first time. But when she got married the second time to my dad, she was like, I didn't really even want to marry him, but I felt guilty for having him living with me and we weren't married. And again, with my grandpa being very strict in his like devout views on things, um, she got married. And then she always used to tell me when I was growing up, she was like, just marry somebody who you love and don't um, marry somebody because you think you're going to be broke or you think this or that. Just marry somebody you love and you guys will figure it out. And that's what I tried to do. But now looking back on it, I see how miserable my mom was in her both of her marriages. And I think it's because she felt pressured to do something because her parents were super religious. But the Bible doesn't say anything about that. She could have like graduated high school and went to college and like waited to get married. She just felt in herself insecure that she was already I don't know, 17 and wasn't married yet. She was like, my womb's going <laughs> to shrivel up and die. <laughs> and like That's nobody real thinks thing. like that now. Oh. Well, I think a lot of what um, the Christian system, what we do is we tell women from the time that they're 12, you're going to be a wife. You're going to be a mom. You're going to do these things. So then we're trained to only be a wife and a mom and that's it. So if you're not hitting those milestones, then you failed. And then add on top of that purity culture. So don't have mm -hmm. sex before marriage. I mean, I'm a pastor's kid, so I get it. Like there's all this pressure with the purity rings and the purity pledge and all of the things that we did. And, you know, whenever yes. it was that I was a teenager. So then you add that pressure and then you're like, well, I need to get married. You have That's to get pretty married. much so what I, she said. It, like it rushes you into things. My ex-husband, I'm divorced. We, from the time we met until the time that we got married was five months and it was 19. And that mm -hmm. was a disaster. Like it was a disaster. And man, if I could just undo that, 
Would you wait till six right? months? Right, that's what she always used to say. <laughs> Maybe the six month would have opened my eyes to be saying. like, this is not the dude for me. <laughs> but along with that, like what Jason was saying, without the example of what a marriage looks like, like I grew up, my parents, pastor, pastor's wife, very healthy relationship. They worked through everything from finances to kids. They were always a team and always a unit. But my ex-husband didn't have the example of a healthy marriage. His mom split when he was little and his dad raised him and was never home so he raised himself and i think that's a huge part of it too when you don't have that example i think maybe instead of even looking at someone's relationship history you should look at their parents relationship because that's going to give you a deeper insight to the kind of marriage that you're going to have yes because you need to know like oh sorry go ahead no you're good go ahead julie I was just going to say, you need to know, like, when the shit, sorry, when this crap hits the fan, this is a Christian show. <laughs> so just bleep me out, please. It is an Australian Christian fan. show as well, so don't feel too tied down to anything. Um, <laughs> but when the bleep hits the fan, you need to know that your husband has some spiritual ground to fall back on. Because if he doesn't, he will crumble and your marriage will fall apart. For me, I had that. I've always had that, like. I feel very hopeless at this moment. I need to pray or I need to get right with God to figure out what's going on in my life. Maybe this is all meant to be. Maybe this is God's plan and I just don't understand it right now. But if your husband doesn't have that and something is going on in your marriage and he doesn't have a spiritual backdrop, something, some core values in him, you're going, you're never going to be equally yoked in the relationship. It's always going to be your fault your fault, your fault, because he doesn't know how to cope with what's going on in the relationship. But I noticed that not necessarily with my husband, but my, I won't say who they are, but people that I love have chosen weird partnerships. And having the grandparents that we do, I'm surprised they ended up there. I'll just say that. But I think Jason, anyone with a sibling has say? that situation, don't they? You'll have a brother yeah. or a sister. Everyone has a brother or a sister who may have married someone you never would have expected, like strange choices. <laughs> I think everyone can attest to that. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it goes the other way around. Sometimes you're looking at the person that your, that your sibling brought home and you're like, run. What are you doing here? You know, it, it, it depends. <laughs> Do you know what you get yourself into? I'm just saying there's still a, there's an escape clause. I'm trying to help you out, bro. <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting though we we can get um a driver's license right to 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 go onto a public road and interact with the public in high-speed environments and and pretty much an unforgiving environment and if you want to do it commercially you have to go and get additional training but if you want to create an eternal human being with the ability to affect this world you don't have to get any training you don't have to get any counseling. You don't have to get tested yourself to make sure you're not psychotic. Not, I'm not talking about eugenics, but I'm just saying some people, maybe there should be a break. Like, <laughs> nah, not just yet, bro. You know, you're mm-hmm. able to go no, that's what it- and start procreating immediately. And I, I think that's completely wild as a, as a cultural backdrop for what we allow people to do and what we encourage. Julia and Kaylee mm-hmm. have kind of touched on something that this is what I've always suspected for a long time. Women carry a pretty heavy burden when it comes to marriage, I feel, which is very much weighted to one side. 
They're carrying a lot on their shoulders. You look at men today, men have become boys and majority of fa- uh, marriages that I see from the outside looking in that fail, it's because the men aren't willing to let go of childish things and they're looking for women who are their mothers. It's that old moniker, men marry women who are like their mothers, but it's not because of their mother's values and the things that they demonstrate that are positive. They want someone to look after them in a lot of cases. And that comes down to a lot of men that are very egocentric and driven. It's all about them and it's not about the relationship and the marriage. Far too often I see people within my age group, they divorce and the reasoning always comes back to it's something personal about them. I wasn't happy. I didn't do this. And they didn't consider the other person. And you ask the the deeper questions and on the surface, it really looks like that it's the guy that's at fault a lot of the time. That's just my circumstantial uh, stories and listening to people's experiences of divorce and separation. But it really seems like there's been an attack on men to make them boys. Like men aren't stepping up to what they used to be. They're not being We're not seeing the men. No, they're not being leaders. Like we have all this... um, all this responsibility put on women that you see in scripture, but the men have kind of just let go of that side of being the leader of their household and the provider and the supporter. It doesn't mean your wife has to be subjugated in any kind of a way, but they're relying too much on the wife for their happiness and the household to keep moving forward in, in a very selfish manner. That's just my well, I've noticed my that they want it both ways. Like I noticed this in my last marriage where he didn't want to lead spiritually, I mean, in any way, like financially, I I did it all. Um, but he also wanted me to be submissive. And you can't have it both ways. Like, I cannot lead and also submit to a leadership that you're not providing. And that causes right. a lot of problems because men need to be respected. Like, you just Hold on, men say, say need that again. That. You was breaking up. You said that one more <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not so, mansplaining, are you, Jason? No, 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 not yet. <laughs> I, I do that later. <laughs> so, I just, I really think that they, they don't want to lead, but they want their wives to submit. Mm-hmm. And it can't be both. You can't put think- all of the burden on your wife to do all of the heavy lifting in the marriage and then also expect her to do everything that you say. Right. And I think a lot of that comes from like not growing up with a male head of the household figure, because a lot of kids are growing up right now, either not knowing who their dad is or their dad's kind of in and out of their life or their dad is just completely worthless. And so they have a really, really strong connection with the mom. And then when they get married, they're expecting their wife, like Drew said, to kind of be mom-like in some kind of a way that they're still going to be taken care of. Because it's not that they're feminine themselves, but they've only had a feminine perspective. Like, I get taken care of, you're supposed to do X, Y, Z, And I'm supposed to do nothing because I'm the kid. And they keep that childlike mentality into the marriage. Like, what did you mean? I'm doing the dishes. Like, yeah. Yeah. Do I get a star on my chart, Julia? Do I get the stars on my chart when I do the dishes? You do. You really do. (laughs) You do. And so, like, I had this conversation with my husband the other night and it upset him and I'm not mad about it. But I was like, I don't like saying thank you to you. When you do things around the house that you should be doing. 
I don't want to see you vacuuming up dog hair and me say thank you. Why am I saying thank you? That should just be something that we're doing as a team. Housework should be done as a team. We both work full time. I have a podcast on the side. I'm doing other things. You're doing other things. But when you even touch a dish in the sink, I say thank you. Why is that? I had, you I had dirtied the dish. Is it a thing of saying thank you per se? Or is it a thing of, well, or is it an issue of gratitude? He says, you're welcome. And I don't like that. I, like for me, hmm. if I'm going to be like, he dirtied up the dishes, right? He made a whole mess in the kitchen, put all the dishes in the sink, let him sit overnight. And then I was just going to do them. He started doing the dishes and I was like, oh, thank you. Not my mess, his mess. But I said, thank you for doing your own dishes. Oh, I didn't include that last you. part. And then he was like, <laughs> you're welcome. And I was like, do you understand that me saying thank you is not thank you for cleaning your own mess. It's like, why should I be thanking you for you cleaning your own mess? Because he just expects me to do it. It's like unspoken. I should be doing everything. He should be doing nothing. And that's why I always say at the end of the day, I love my husband, but nobody gives you like a crash course in marriage before you do it. You just kind of figure it out as you go along. That's why and then sometimes you're like, Oh my God, this was a setup. <laughs> like, How old is your husband? He's, he's 31. Yeah. He's a baby. That sounds right. <laughs> all, I can hear is, uh, all I can hear is genie from Aladdin. Like warning, warning. <laughs> as soon as she was like, thank you. I feel like my That's dude funny. should have somebody on his shoulder. Like, don't, don't say it. It's it's a trap. <laughs> it's, a trap. it's a trap. It's, it's a not trap. a hard code to break. Come right. on, don't that, respond. That is not a genuine thank you, my guy. <laughs> I thought it was like right, but- I thought it was like an issue where you said thank you. And he, you know, you were you were upset that you had to say thank you. And I was like, well, maybe he should say thank you about more things as well. So you got more thank yous going back and forth in the relationship. I didn't know it was that right, type right. of thank you. Joe, you left out some key information <laughs> on a brother. Well, I'm saucy. I'm a saucy one. But I say all that to say his mother, he acts exactly like his dad does. And his mother took care of everything in the household. Sometimes I will randomly come home from work and he won't be home and I'll be like, where are you? And he was like, oh, my mom packed my lunches for this week. She still does this kind of stuff. He's a mama's boy and his mom runs that household. She's not got a speck of dirt anywhere, not a dust particle on the wall. All the laundry's done. All the dishes are done. His dad mows the grass, takes naps, eats dinner like and works. But, you know, that's his role in the home. Something breaks, he fixes it. But so going into this marriage, he assumed based on watching his parents that I would fall into that role. And I'm kind of more like, oh, guess you don't have underwear this week because you didn't wash them. That's optional. Like, that's me. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, you don't need it anyway. I think that's part of being unequally yoked, too, is um, your value system and your expectations. And not a lot of people talk about that because it's all fun in the beginning. So um, we just kind of go into it thinking, oh, it's going to be fun and sex all the time. Like, it's all it's going to be. It's and not. then you realize, like, there's, <laughs> uh, for, you know, 
for my current marriage, it's still fine and dandy. But in my last marriage, like that, it drops. When off. you have all of the added both not like it's yeah. not this. It wears off very quick when I'm having to be your mom. I am no longer attracted to you because I'm the mom. No, but I, I mm-hmm. think I think everything we're touching on is so interesting and so key because I don't think it's an either or situation. I think it's a both and like right now you guys have been talking about when men are not stepping up to be leaders. Right. But right on the same parallel that that's happening in culture, women are being told step up and be men. So there's a whole nother section of the population that's dealing with, I don't need you and I don't need a man in my life. And matter of fact, you're just a little sperm donor. If we want to be, we want to be honest about it. And that's like two insults. You're like, don't call me a little sperm donor. I mean, at least give me big sperm donor. (laughs) That's a double insult. <laughs> you know, but but you you have that parallel attack running in in society because it's an attack on humanity overall. It's not just one gender or the other. And I think they're interrelated because we have a whole culture mm-hmm. now that's about women being bosses. And we've got right. femininity turned upside down to be toxic with this whole feminism thing. And then on top mm-hmm. of that, when you when you remove men from the home, either through uh, uh, an economic system that works them to death or through a corrupt legal system that displaces them mm-hmm. out of the home and puts them in, in prison. In either place, yep. you have the leader of the home being absent and women being forced in many cases to step up into that role. And that being like our generation prior. And then now you look at our current mm-hmm. generation and the one that's coming up. You already have women in positions of leadership. So just keep doing you, boo. You really don't need a man. And I think all of this comes together to really break Mm -hmm. down the family unit as a whole. And people aren't being taught. First, you don't have a God. You don't have godly standards because there is no God. You can be your own boss. You can make up your rules as you go. And if it doesn't work, just just roll. Just bounce. Had a woman ask me one time. Well, and we... I'm going to say real quick, I had, a, I had a girl ask me one time, she was like, what's your position on divorce? And I was like, you want my public answer or, or my private answer? And she looked at me a little curious, like, you have two answers? And I was like, I'm, I'm not your typical Negro. You, you messing with the wrong one, right? <laughs> she said, well, <laughs> give me your answer. I was like, uh, I'm, I'm not a proponent of divorce. She was like, is that your private or public? I said, that's my public answer. She goes, what's your private answer? I said, I'll be a widower before I'm a divorcee. She's like, oh, mm. my goodness. <laughs> Are you serious? I said, oh, we will learn to work out some crap. I don't care if you got to yep. sleep in the guest room and I got to sleep somewhere else. We's married now. So once we cross that, if you don't like me, you're going to learn. I'm going to give you good reasons not to like me. You're going to learn how to get around that. I'm going to learn how to deal with you. But uh, this whole splitting and separating and we ain't together because we had irreconcilable differences. I said, nah, that's too many big words for me. Ain't no such thing as irreconcilable differences. <laughs> we'll, we'll work through that. I think our generation has yeah. lost that. You know, Sounds like yeah, you're from are. the same school of thought as my wife. My wife says, my family does not do divorce, Drew. She says, we either work things out, and then she'll just look and she'll gesture at the knife block, and I know quickly that we're going to work things out. <laughs> See what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. That's funny. You will learn. You know, just you just sporadically play movies like, you know, Ike and Tina Turner. Just because it's a good Negro classic, that's all. You're not trying to teach anything. 
I will say that my husband, he is a leader. It's just sometimes I get like that. Maybe it's because I'm just stubborn, but I'll be like, I disagree with you strongly and we need to have a long discussion about this. But if we get into a really big fight, you know, like sleep on the couch and you sleep in the bed or we sleep in the bed and don't touch the middle, don't put your... He is such a... What is not a swear? He is such a (laughs) special person. He will literally roll over to my side of the bed... Mm-hmm. He will put his head on my pillow and he will put his legs all up over me and I'll be like, don't touch me. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. Get on your side of the bed. And he's like, this is my bed. This is my pillow. You're my, my wife. wife. And exactly. this is where I'm going to sleep tonight. And exactly. he will not. He won't. This is and me. You know we don't do that. Sleeping. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And we've made up or whatever. It's like, okay, I get it. You're not going to let me like throw a temper tantrum. And he's like, no, I'm not. And I'm not sleeping on the couch in my house. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Yeah, we don't I'm do sleeping. that around here. We are not sleeping separately. You're right. He won't. Your happy allow it. right next yeah. to me. And you can go to sleep mad. <laughs> That's fine. I don't I haven't fully decided how I feel on the whole sleepy situation. Speaking as the only single guy here, you know, I'm, I'm looking over the bow and I'm like, yeah, I think it's time for me to get a nice couch, you know, because I want her to be comfortable. <laughs> I definitely want her to be comfortable. just not for the 90s, so you can always invest in one. Yeah, yeah. A, a yeah, nice you couch can get for her a, to be comfortable. I ain't never getting couch. kicked out of my bed. <laughs> that's what go. he says yeah, I plan to do he's like <laughs> I will not get kicked out of my own bed oh, and, I, like, I can be think petty. of the nerve of that like I will put my leg on you if I want to woman and I'm like oh my god I hate you but I love my you. husband <laughs> has tried to sleep on the couch twice and I was like okay we're gonna be uncomfortable on the couch <laughs> See, I like we can both sleep in there right. if you want to have a sleepover tonight yeah, I, but we're I not like doing that, that. But yo, we see we've cool. lost so much of that that conflict resolution, the ability to to work through difficulties. It's like if it's not well, conflict the way I want it, isn't bad, right? Conflict isn't bad. We've just demonized it. As long as we can come to a peaceful resolution, if you don't have conflict, that's when things get bad. Yeah, the moment she realizes I'm right, we're good. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I don't care if I got to go to Wikipedia. You sound like me. Oh, it's, it's the inherent. It's the inherent danger of admitting that there's this fault in yourself or this fault on both the both sides of things that marriage was never intended to be one sided. A marriage is a union between two people and a little thing called compromise comes into it. The amount of things that I don't particularly like, but I do for my wife's happiness, I do and I pay, take part in. It's just a part of life and people aren't willing to have that compromise anymore because of that centrist view of it's all about me. Exactly. So we have two yeah, people in a relationship are looking out for themselves first and not for each other. But like a lot of people think- become like so easily accessible too. Like if me and my husband get in a fight and I'm like, I'm just so over this, like bumble, Tinder, you can just jump on any of these apps and meet someone. And people are so much more easily accessible and just down to like be your what are they called? Friends with benefits or whatever. Oh, no, we're not together. We're just having sex. Okay, that's great. But this is what's happened to marriage. People don't think they need to stick it out because it's just a easier option to just have sex with people casually 
that they find physically attractive and never have to commit anything to them. So and there's no accountability I, for that. There, we, yeah, we don't you don't have, have to be accountable. Mm-hmm. We don't have friends that will put us in our place. You know, when I was going through my divorce, I had a bunch of girlfriends who were like, yeah, leave it. I'll set you up with so-and-so, which is private. All the time, girl. All um, the time. And then, <laughs> and then we don't have the smaller communities where the nosy neighbor will rat you out to your husband if you're bringing other guys home. Like, we don't, we don't have that close-knit society anymore. We can just get away with anything. That's what we have to bring back for. the scarlet letter. Do we need the scarlet letter, Jason? Because that's really easy because you can tell who it is just by the letter that's on them. Yeah. It's actually become like the opposite of the the nosy neighbor. Now it's kind of this this culture around women like you get it, girl. He wasn't <laughs> yeah. good for you anyways. You have get you that. seen the the TikTok videos where the boyfriend will sit with his girlfriend and he will call her friends and ask if she's with it with them, and they're like, mm-hmm. yeah, she's right here. Like so, you just have yeah. people with no ethics, morals who will just lie for you. And ruin your relationship, and then what kind of message does that send to your guy? Like, never take advice from a single person is what I've learned, and never tell single people (laughs) or your family about your fights. Well, and never never tell your family about your fights. That one, yeah, that's a tough. Go for Chris. Back against that one. I would just say never take relationship advice from someone who has a relationship you don't want. Right. That's fair. That's Christopher. Go for it. Well, the whole you can't take advice from a single person. I, what, what is that? A genetic fallacy that just because like here, here's the issue. I hear it all the time by parents and they're like, if you don't have kids, you can't tell me how to raise my children. You don't need children to say, don't shake that baby. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's still good advice to not shake the baby, whether or not this person has children or not. A British so nanny would disagree say- with you. <laughs> a British a British nanny would well, disagree with you. I guess I should clarify. I guess I should clarify my statement. Please, if you're I'm, in I'm a relationship, if you are in a relationship or you are married, don't ask your single friend who is a female who just wants you to be single again so you can do hood rat shit with them what their advice is for your marriage because they will 100% blow things out of proportion to make you hate your spouse or your boyfriend and leave them so you can just go be single with them and do, go back and be single Julia again and go to the bars and go to the clubs because they're single and they're miserable that they're alone now and you're with someone. So if you're like, oh, yeah, we're in a fight and he said this or that, they will 100% be like, oh, my God, he's toxic. You need to get away from him right now, girl. You could stay with me. We'll go back to like that's that's the kind of advice I get from like single people in my life because they're not interested in your relationship working out. They're just more interested in having you back as a friend. But if Sounds they like happen to get friends. in, well, <laughs> right. I mean, it's not that they're bad people. It's just that they miss having. They just want like, you to get know. divorced, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, I think because I've got to say, happens. Jason's. Go ahead. Jason's single and I, I go to him all the time and it's either I, tr- I try to go to Jason and be like, this is what I'm going to say to my wife. Sometimes it's this is what I've already said. And he's like, oh, you can't do that. That's a bad idea. Up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, You need to refine that a little bit before you let those words come out of your mouth. So he really helps me out in, in that regard. And, and he doesn't even have a wife. So, yeah, I, no, that's great. That is great. That's a true friend. 
See, but I, I, I don't, I, I found it interesting that, you know, people, I even had it said to me that, you know, I don't think as a single person, you should be able to give marriage advice. And so my kickback has been, where's, cool. what's the best marriage advice you can find biblically? And of course, they're either going to go to Paul or Jesus. And I'm like, both of them are single. So <laughs> it's not that people <laughs> can't give good advice. The issue is, don't go to people who are not serious followers of Christ looking for biblical advice on a biblical institution, right? That's the issue. Whether mm-hmm. whether they're single, whether they're married, whether they've been married, whether they got divorced, because now if you got if you were married and got divorced, you're still back to single. So does that mean you can't talk anymore about being married? It's really, I think, where the root of the advice comes from. And if it's coming from from a biblical position, most of all, then I think you're you're in safer grounds than than mm-hmm. if not. And I don't think the the relationship status of the person should be the defining factor. I think the defining factor should be, are you pointing me back to Jesus or away? You know, if you're telling me and I'm married, hey, let's roll out, let's hit the bars, you don't need him. Uh, yeah, that's a problem because you're not helping me maintain this thing that I committed be t- before God and man and made a covenant vow over. You know, that's totally different than if you're if you're also single, you're saying, hey, this person really is toxic. You might need to get away to get some counseling, figure out a way if there's a, if there's a, a, a manner to work this thing out or for your own safety. Maybe you can't. Let's let's look at what we can do as opposed to I'm just trying to get you back on the scene so we can hang out. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The the last thing that the pastor said when we got married, the last bit of our vows before he was like Mr. and Mrs. Hobson and we ran away into the, you know, next room. He was like, What God has joined together, let no man yeah. separate or come between or something like that. And I think of that all the time is is marriages between me and him and God. So when I do ask people for advice, sometimes I think that he'll be able to forgive me or I'll be able to forgive him, but family doesn't forgive the same. So sometimes it's just a matter of like getting right between the two of you and again, Mm -hmm. turning towards your base value system and your own core beliefs in Christianity and then if you still can't work it out, maybe go to someone like a, like a, a pastor or someone like that. Like our pastor does marriage counseling, but it's all in who you're asking, like you said. And if it's your single friend that just wants to go back out to the bar, they're going to give you some really bad advice. Um, but it should at least be a decent amount of time trying to work it out between the two of you first before you run and tell someone. Anyways, I've also learned that because I can get in the heat of the moment and exaggerate things. Let's just say. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I think there's also a bit of warning that comes with not talking to family about your issues too, because that kept me in an abusive marriage for eight years, Mm. not talking to my dad or my mom, the pastors about what was going on in our marriage. And that kind of just shamed me into silence because I didn't want to badmouth my husband. Like we don't do that. Um, And I know that my parents won't forgive him for cheating on me and laying his hands on me and spending all of our money and like (laughs) all of these things that he was doing. So I think that can also be detrimental, but the Bible does say that the older men are to teach the younger men and the older women are to teach the younger women. So if you don't feel like you can go to your parents because they won't forgive him, you need to find 
somebody else in your church community, spiritual community, who is older and not just your same age of a peer who only has your same level of maturity and um, Mm -hmm. experience and go to someone who has seen more things and experienced more things and go to them instead. And they tend to be more unbiased. They're not your girlfriend who's like, yeah, leave him or whatever. They tend to be more level-headed and less emotional even about Mm -hmm. your situation. Mm-hmm. This kind of leads us into our, the next segue of the next topic about the attack on deliberate attack on the traditional family that the elders are such an integral part of families and that traditional family. But let's end this little topic on a bit of a positive. Statistically, divorces are actually going down. It was a peak in the 1970s across the majority of the Western world, air quotes, with it slowly going down. It's nowhere near to a point where I think it, it should be, but it is going down. So, Maybe there's hope out there. People are starting to actually have those conversations and really work out their issues before just going to the nuclear option of ending a relationship. Drew, I got a question. If the divorce rate is going down, is the marriage rate going down as well? Well, that's a correlation that would be very interesting to look at, wouldn't it? Yeah. There are many relationships out and there are that we, can't buy a marriage anymore. Yeah. Are we counting the open marriages in that too? And, and thruples. <laughs> I don't thing. think that should count. That doesn't count. No, it doesn't count. Definitely not. <laughs> You're <All right>. single. <laughs> That's it. Uh, <laughs> Palm 68.6, God sets the lonely in families. So, like you said, Julia, sometimes those single friends, they do try to steer you in the wrong direction because they're lonely. They want the relationship back with you because your partner has taken that place in your relationship with your friends. But God will provide for those people. They will give them a family. The dynamic has changed greatly over the last couple of centuries. As of only like two or three generations, families used to be raised in the same household. You'd be born in a household, you'd live in it, and then you'd raise your kids alongside their grandparents, all within the same home. This has changed drastically. It started off as that family, multi-generational households. Then it became the nuclear family, where we were told that we need to move out of our homes and create our own nests and start our own little families. From there... We left our elders behind. They were out of sight, out of mind. And now we've got to the point where we see single people living in small little duplex apartments with their fur babies. What the hell is going on with the traditional family? What's happened to it? (laughs) This is such a passionate subject for me. Go ahead. Me too. Sorry. my, My perspective kind of bridges both of the things because we've done, we've covered a lot of like how this stuff is happening. But I think one of the things to recognize is, is why it's happening or one of the reasons that it's happening. Um, L.A. Marzulli wrote a book called The Cosmic Chess Match. Has anybody read it or heard about it? Heard of it. Haven't yet to read it. Okay. Yet. Yeah. So what, what he does is he, he highlights um, from, from a biblical perspective, from Genesis all the way up to, to, to modern day, the, the move counter move of things that God did, things that the enemy did. And it, it's like this, this te- chess match. And every time God reveals something that he's going to do, it allows the enemy to kind of hone in his attack to thwart the will of God. So, you know, you have the, the, um, Adam and Eve were supposed to be fruitful and multiply. So the serpent attacks Eve. And then from the seed of Eve, you know, the, the seed of the woman will have enmity with that of the snake. Then you have Genesis six where the angels come down and, and sleep with the women. So you get this over and over that every time God says, okay, this is what I'm using. Then the enemy attacks. And if we fast forward all the way to the new Testament, 
Paul tells us in Ephesians that it sounds like he's explaining um, just marriage. You know, for this reason, uh, a man should leave his, his mother and father and be joined with his wife. But then he says, and this is the great mystery that I'm talking about Christ and the church. So the church is something that was put in place to assist Christians. One of the last like institutions that God set up, but then also set up marriage to reflect Christ's relationship with the church. And from marriage, you get the family. So, so this whole system is God's way of saying, this is how the world can see how I treat my people. And I think that's one of the reasons that it's under such attack. That was very well said. Thank you. I really like that. So is it an attack on, in within the air quotes, modern age, an attack on the church as being one of the pillars of what marriage, a good marriage is? Or is it other things that are going on societally and culturally that are having a greater impact? Is it an end or, or is it a, or is it a both? Both. Yeah, I think it's a both and. As the church gets attacked, then, I mean, in, in conjunction with that, we destroy what it is. Because we've talked about, there's so many different um, attacks, at, at least in, in our generation of the church. You know, we have the, the burnt over region and the, the lack of education and training in the church and the fundamentalist movement, you know, affects, um, the, the ability of the church to affect change in society. And then with that, you have the feminist movement, which tells wives that they need to, you're not really being the woman that you need to be until you're doing all the things that a man is doing. You know, it just takes the man standard and this is what success is for a woman. So just layer after layer, they're, the enemy has attacked the church and marriage and from that, the family and all of that brings a nation to its knees. I feel like they're, they're attacking us biologically as well, though, with not, not only just the amount of poisonous substances that are in the food that we eat and stuff like that. Kind kind of what drew was saying in the beginning, but I've been doing a lot of research recently on the Gardasil vaccine because it's turned out that a lot of girls my age who are vaccinated with Gardasil are basically sterile. And I, it was a three part vaccine. I got it. And, um, I recently went to the doctor and they were, they did labs on me and an ultrasound on me and like, xyz different kind of tests and they were like um your chances of conceiving are one in a million you have cysts all over your ovaries your uterus is shrunken like a prune blah 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 and i said why and what could have caused this and he said well we're just putting it under the umbrella term of pcos which is something that's been over and over and over again, people coming out with this PCOS, PCOS. And so that wasn't my choice. It was my mom's choice because she was talked into, this is what your daughter needs. So she doesn't die a horrible cervical cancer death. And of course, as a mom who loves their daughter, they're going to try to prevent something like that. But now we're finding out that it's causing infertility issues. Um, and then a couple days ago I think like three days ago they called me from the clinic and they were like you have abnormal results from your blood tests and from your pap smear and we think you have precancerous cells and we need to either give you um like a thing where they freeze your cervix or like some other crazy thing 
And I was looking at my husband and this was a really hard conversation to have with him because now he has to know I may never be able to have children. Does that affect our marriage? Because we didn't go into this thinking I was never going to be able to have children. And it's not that I wouldn't want to have children or he wouldn't want to have children, but that was taken away from me by big pharma. So even with the most hardcore spiritual foundations, I was even a little bit black pilled in that moment. Like we're all doomed. We are all doomed. Even the most clean diet, vegan, healthy, this, that, and the third thing won't save you from big pharma. And that's another attack on the family. If you can't have children at all, that's sounds, part of their thing. It sounds like you're mm-hmm. actually telling the story of my household. It rings really? true with what me and my wife are going through at the moment. She's the same generation as you with the Gardasil vaccine, which they're also giving to boys now, by the way. Think about it's, that. Yeah, it's it's yeah. a horrifying situation. And, and you go to see these specialists and you meet with your fertility experts and you get the throwaway line of, um, humans actually aren't very good at reproducing. We don't know why. And how do they explain Asia? Oh, I said there's eight, <laughs> there's eight billion people on the planet. Not we are very good, good at reproducing. Oh, okay. That's a new one. I'm gonna and, take that to the hood. And, and see what it think. seems like that they can do a, a barrage of tests, but there's no definitive answer of what's going on. You get you the throwaway line of. Told me, Drew. You know what he that? told me? He was like, I have high cholesterol. I eat a very healthy diet and I still have high cholesterol. Sometimes that's just how God makes your body. That's what he told me. We, hmm. we so got the it one was of- almost like a stab in my heart when he said that. Like, that's not how God made my body. Every woman in my family hasn't had an issue. I'm the one that got the Gardasil shot. Now I'm the one in the whole family who's got like a poisonous uterus like give me a break it doesn't make sense julia what i find interesting though is the fact that first off most doctors don't recognize the existence of god in a medical practice right in that field and it's (laughs) curious that the one time at least in this instance the time that it is there's a question mark put on his character maybe god made it this way oh thanks doc i appreciate (laughs) that i I was worried for a moment wondering how god made me I'm, i'm impressed that you even recognized him the frustration we get is we're told that we're both within the within the perfect age range to have children. Our bloods are perfect. Our hormone levels are fine. There's um, regular cycles with my wife. My sperm count is three times higher than the average guy, so it's not an issue. On paper, we are perfect people that should be ha- should have had multiple kids, but we just don't know why. And then it's, it's dead mm-hmm. science. There's no other. Did you get Gardasil? Um, I didn't. My wife did. Your wife did. So I didn't get the Gardasil vaccine, but I was diagnosed with PCOS when I was 12 and they put me on birth control when I was 12. Mm. And I was on that from 12 to 19 when I got married and when I got off. And then I had unexplained infertility also with recurring miscarriages. And it took us five years with fertility treatments to get and stay pregnant. Um, so it's kind of crazy that they give you the problem and then they also treat the problem. Boom. Yeah. They give you, they, they create the problem and give you the solution. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And maybe it works. Maybe. 
It's not like they've never done that before. Wow. Exactly. <laughs> you know, you know what's crazy? Like- you know, a lot of us, if we, we talk about this publicly, people look at us like you're insane. If they can get through 30 seconds of not blowing their head from, from <laughs> you know, too many facts. But it causes somebody like me to take a step back and be like, am I crazy? I mean, I might be crazy. I have a very creative mind. Maybe I'm a little out there. You know, is this whole pharmacy thing and big pharma, is it really designed to kill me? I remember I was asking God this, talking about the COVID vaccine. And I was like, I'm really tired of fighting all of these people and, you know, going against the grain. God, am I off here? And he was like, what do you see? And I said, I don't like when you ask me questions back. I would prefer just a straight answer. <laughs> I'm not trying to tell you how God, but today's the day I just need a straight answer. And he asked me, he was like, what do you see? And I said, you know, I, I, I see... When it, especially with, with COVID in particular and the responses that were given, I see intimidation. I, I, I see a complete domination of airwaves and choices. You know, I see where we're being manipulated. He was like, what are all those three characteristics? I was like, those are characteristics of witchcraft. And he goes, all right, cool. Now, you know that those are characteristics of witchcraft. And you also know in scripture that there's a correlation between witchcraft and pharmakia, which is where we get the English word pharmacy. And he was like, they are really working witchcraft on you. And I'm like, all right, God, well, I feel good for today. I'm going to probably need this pep talk tomorrow. It's interesting that the more right. research we do, the more we find out, no, it really does look like they're working witchcraft on us through the different drugs that they give us. You know, this whole idea of, you, well, you need this, you need this vaccine, we're going to change the vaccine schedule, you've got three times the amount of vaccines now that you had when that are recommended for children that than it was when you were a kid, and oh, by the way, we don't know all the side effects on these, but they're safe. You go on ahead and you get them, and then 20, 30 years later, we don't know why we're seeing these types of issues. Did you by chance happen to have this one particular vaccine? You're like, you know, if I could choke a person, I probably would right now if it was legal. Yeah, I took it. The safest ingredient in those, by the way, is called luciferian. So, you know, that just oh, sounds fantastic, doesn't it? That sounds awesome. <laughs> sounds very healthy, Drew. I'm going to take two doses of that and one to go. Sounds very bright and illuminated. Exactly. That's what it sounds like to me. <laughs> right. But think about, like, going after kids. Like, they have no choice at all. They, their parents are the ones that gets manipulated into doing it. But, Julia, doesn't it seem mm-hmm. to make sense if this is witchcraft being enacted on us at, on a whole, that going after the yes. kids is, 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 is I, not identical, but is endemic of what those ancient uh, Canaanite religions actually did? You sacrifice the kids. Mm-hmm. And doesn't this seem to run parallel with the whole thing of what Genesis said? There's going to be war between your seed, Mr. Serpent, and the seed of the woman. Like we were mm-hmm. told this way back when, but it's crazy to see it play out. And I know people are, I've gotten to this conversation with family members and they're like, are you telling me if you had a headache that you're not going to go take an aspirin? I said, no, 100%. I'm not telling you that. I will take three of them because I really want my head to stop. <laughs> I said, the problem is I've been conditioned to take that. It's interesting that my first response is take three aspirin, not, not pray three times. And of course, if I go talk to God, he, he'll probably, you know, we'll, we'll deal with possibly we'll deal with the symptom. But God's way more interested in roots. 
So he's going to drink be some about water. Why you have a headache? <laughs> drink water. I hate he'd probably, water, God. He'd probably tell me you you had six coffees today, Drew. This is what you get. What did you do? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm like, this is not God. You're giving me another headache. I just want the first well, one. <laughs> I'm not trying to change. Yeah, but it's it's like God created our body so perfectly that when you drink too much, you get a hangover. When you do this too much, you get a headache or you get dehydrated or blah blah blah. There, there's like God's way of telling you, you are out of balance with something. Like, can you imagine if you could drink as much as you want and never have a hangover, what the world would be like right now? It, that's why your body was created that way. There's signals to you from your body, aka God who created it, that you need to change something that you're doing. Right. Well, well it's our it gives us everything. Go ahead. Sorry, you can go ahead. Uh, all right, go ahead. So he gives us everything that we need from the earth to fix the problem. So if you have a headache, if you take some cayenne honey and mix it together, it will naturally heal your headache. You don't need any of these pharmaceuticals. They just tell you you do and they use fear. God is not the author of fear or confusion. So instead of pushing the fear thing, do use the things that he gave us from the earth. Sorry. Even alcohol, mm-hmm. to go back to what so Julia bugs. said, homemade alcohol, homebrewed beers, they don't have the additives which actively cause the hangover. The spirits. The spirits, right? Uh, so even if you make things in its natural form, air quotes, at its baseline that hasn't been interfered with by chemicals and pharmaceuticals, you are in a better place than you would have been drinking what they're peddling. Sorry, Christopher, you go. No, it's all right. So Jason, you tied all of this back to, to witchcraft and sorcery and, you know, played it up to the seemingly innocent aspirin or Tylenol if you have a headache. But it's interesting if you, if you run the script all the way back, the whole lie in the Garden of Eden is you can do what you want and you're not going to suffer the consequences. Right. You can eat the fruit. You won't die. You're going to, and that's, I mean, we're conditioned to take the pill, but I think taking the pill also conditions us that we can do whatever we want and we don't have to suffer the consequences. All you have to do is take this and it fixes it. You know, I'm you with Christopher symptom, on that. Fine. Sometimes you have to suffer. Sometimes you have to suffer. I'm sorry. Like, I think when you do something to yourself that causes physical symptoms, those symptoms are there to remind you that you effed up. Like drinking. <laughs> Poison all night. Well, the Bible even says, and I, I can't make perfect sense of this, but the Bible says that Jesus, as a human, learned obedience through suffering. Through so suffering. He didn't even Thank get you. Out of it. I, yeah. I say that to my husband all the time. He'll be like, Do you have any ibuprofen? And I'm like, No, Safa, you should not have had three shots of Jameson last night. Sorry. <laughs> man, Julia, I'm starting to and diarrhea. I'm starting to understand. I feel this, bad uh, for the man. Just teaching <laughs> in the home. I'm starting. I'm not to think an that, easy person to be with. Okay. I, I'm, I'm starting. I'm starting to think Pray Julia's in the Oprah Winfrey book club with my wife because I'm seeing a lot of the same traits here. It's quite scary. <laughs> tell her. Tell her we should get together and go bowling. Uh, we'll we'll have so hey, much to talk hey, Drew, about. But Drew, it's a trip. Yes. I'm telling you, it's a joke. Don't, don't do it, Drew. Don't, I'm trying to tell you. I'm trying to help you, bro. Do not let Julie is going to be like, ditch him. Let's go to the club. 
Right, Julie's gonna come uh, back I'm all wasted, desperate. and her husband's gonna be like, "So, who's suffering now?" <laughs> no, don't touch me. This is my side of bed. You sleep on your side. Demilitarized zone, woman. You're not allowed to cross the 39th parallel. You went out to the club. You oh suffered. my god. Yeah, he does need to suffer sometimes. But if you think well, even a more deeper level, like even with the names of these these pharmaceuticals, if you look closely, there's some little tell in the names. Oh yeah, Advil. Yeah, yeah. Think of it, Advil. What? Break it up, a devil. What the? F- I have a terrible headache. Does anyone have a devil? <laughs> I could pop anyone. <laughs> anyone a devil? Like it literally is in the name. So, look, I'm so glad you said this. So, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this lady called Celeste Solem, but she's a researcher um, who follows a lot of what the military industrial complex is doing in the pharmaceuticals. And she was talking about this very thing. She was talking about the high degree of witchcraft that is going on in our pharmaceutical industry and how even the names of the things that we are given have occult roots to them. In fact, there was, there was one particular um, thing that she was talking about. I think she was talking about uh, uh, what is this thing called graphene oxide and how this thing was actually included in, in the COVID vaccine and some of the, the nature, the unique nature of this particular thing um, that we, we seem to have engineered and how it has, what what do they call that? Um, Immortal cells where it can't be destroyed. And her first question was, where in the, Hmm. she didn't say it this way, but it's my translation. Where in the hell do you get immortal cells from? Like, where are they manufacturing that? That's crazy. And that's got all sorts of implications to it. But she talked about how um, recently, just to show the level of witchcraft and spellcasting that's happened. She said, um, back in, I want to say, 2020, right around that range, Australia had a series of wildfires that were breaking out really crazy. And she said the the United States sent over an unmanned um, aerial vehicle that was coated in this graphene oxide. So it made it invisible and it had a payload on it. And there were two particular things that that it was running. It was running a thing called Geomancer and it was running another payload called Spellbinder. And what it was doing was broadcasting down to the ground spells from from the aircraft projected down to the ground that was intermixing with the occult um, rituals that were going down the ground already. And the result of that, she said, was the extreme wildfires and the high degree of tyranny that occurred right after um, with, with the COVID lockdowns, like why it was so bad in Australia all being tied back to the witchcraft that was happening. And then she said these payloads, Geomancer and Spellbinder, have been uploaded to satellites that are going around. So it's constantly being cast down to the earth. And she said the crazy thing was, I think this the particular, um, either the code name of the operation or the call sign of the aircraft was Valkyrie. And she said, do you know what Valkyrie stands for? And I believe it's something along the lines of um, selector of the damned or selector of the dead, something like that. And yes, she said, the Valkyrie would come down and collect the Norse warriors and take them to Valhalla. So mm-hmm. they're like a, a pagan angelic figure in their so that kind of terminology. Who, who dies, right? 
She goes, do you know what the original working name was of Remdesivir? It was Valkyrie. Think about that. Huh. I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. Like the That's degrees crazy. of witchcraft that are happening mixed in with the the pharmaceutical industry. And it's not just the pharmaceutical industry. You can expand this to a lot. Of them. You can expand it to the entertainment industry. You can expand it to the food market, which I know we're going to talk about GMOs here soon. But it's to your point, Julia, it is in the name. There's a tie all the way through yes. on these things. And we're mm-hmm. not being made aware of it. We're just becoming guinea pigs to to get this thing kicked off. And I think people really have to start waking up to they're not here to really help us. You know, if No, praying, and that's why you have to put your spiritual hedge up. Right. If we're not praying, if we're not really tapped in uh, to our relationship with Jesus Christ, if that's not a priority, if we're not really depending on him to make it through what they have planned for us, we're not going to make it. And I think that's right. the key. You know, you you can't, you were saying a moment ago, yeah, you really can't escape this type of what we like to call an Operation Red Pill, this this control matrix, because it is it is vast. It's interconnected. It's one area of what you think you're dealing with is connected to an area you don't see. And it's designed to put Lucifer in the position of God to make him sovereign, even though he's a limited created being who cannot be sovereign. In order to feign sovereignty, he, he uses control in order to to come across as all powerful. And these systems that we see are the 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 ele- the echoes of that control. You know, when you see a pharmaceutical mm-hmm. industry that's tied into witchcraft, of course, because he's got his hands in that type of stuff. You know, I think it's wild that when Christ was tempted on the high point of the temple, that Lucifer showed him all the kingdoms. And that had to be past, present, and future, in my opinion. Like I'm I'm gonna mm-hmm. give you everything. I'm like, you give them kingdoms that don't exist yet? That's wild. You can even do that, but not just geopolitical kingdoms. I'll give you industries. I'll make you God over everything. Mm. And it's interesting, Jesus' response. He never refuted the offer in the sense of the the legality or legitimacy of the offer. He just refused it. But he never said you're lying. You know, It's not even yours to give. Right. Which then seems to suggest, yeah, you do have control over those things, which means we are seeing the, the, the satanic nature of these various industries coming to a head, especially as we move deeper and deeper into a world that's being systematically conditioned to bring about and accept the replacement Messiah, the Antichrist. Because he, he's the God of this world. Mm-hmm. He was like let loose to be the God of this world. And everyone's doing a great job, whether they realize it or not, falling in line with that. Which is why I think people so have it, to be, they got to question more and think more. And definitely from a biblical perspective, else you just get bamboozled. So, so let's yeah, bring it back what, to what that attack is on on the traditional family. What we've been talking about, the attack is on the flesh. It's attack on the body, attack on our health. And the biggest part being the center of it, the ability to create your own family. If they're preventing or making those harder to do, that's probably the biggest pillar that if they take out, it all crumbles and falls away. But I want to ask Kaylee about this one. It's the distancing of our elders. We don't value the elderly anymore. We don't value uh, the opinions of our grandparents or our own parents when it comes to our households. Why do you think this has been happening and what can we do to 
try and prevent it from happening any further? This is something I'm so passionate about. Um, and it's just been heavy on my heart recently because we have demonized multi-generational living. Um, and the, you don't know who you are until you leave your hometown. Um, you don't know anything until you go away to college. You don't have any life experience until you are on your own. Um, these type of things that separate us from our ancestors. If like I grew up on family lands and I had my grandparents and my aunts and uncles and all the cousins. And I was talking to my husband about this the other day. Like I didn't just see my parents healthy marriage. I saw my grandparents healthy marriage. I saw my aunts and uncles doing healthy marriage. I was surrounded by people who loved God and had them at the center of everything they did and exhibited that through their parenting and their marriages and life. And I was constantly, that was homeschooled, constantly observing, observing this day in and day out to where other people who are separated from their families and their grandparents live far away. And then they're going to government schools and they're just constantly bombarded with the world. And they, they don't grow up in these healthy environments. Like I was completely sheltered in a way that I'm very grateful for. Like I grew up just in a way I think all kids should grow up. And we've demonized that to the point where, if like, oh, that guy just lives in his mom's basement, like that's like the ultimate insult, right? Like that dude lives in his mom's basement or he's still living with grandma. And we don't take pride in that anymore where we have that village that it takes to raise a family in truth, where it takes sometimes when my parents couldn't get through to me, my grandparents could. Because I know that you're not trying to just harp on me all the time. Like you, I know that you got my back. Like it's, you know, because they're the grandparents. And so when you separate all of the families, you put everybody at a greater temptation, I think. Um, because then we've, you know, if you're not having to be an example for your kids all the time, then you're more likely to slip and do things that you wouldn't do if your kids were watching you all the time. And I, I was talking to my husband about this the other day. I said, you know, if we lived on the same land as my pastor dad, he would be on my case about some of the things that I do as a wife when I'm getting lippy and um, slacking on keeping my house up. Like he would be Harry Morgan would have words for me. You know, he would be like, what are you doing? Like, this is not the way I raised you. And so you also take away that accountability when you take away your parents observing how you treat your kids and your husband. Then you have removed um, what I think is the spiritual hierarchy, maybe, is the word I would use. Because the Bible tells you to obey your mother and father and doesn't say until you're 18. Right. It doesn't say that. Like it says to honor your mother and father, period. Not until you move out, not until you go to college. So I, I don't know. And then I also think about the verse that Christopher said earlier about, um, the leave and cleave where he tells the men 
to leave your mother and father. He doesn't tell the women to leave their mother and father. And I think that's significant too. He doesn't say you guys both leave and go do your own thing. He tells the men to leave and cling to their wives. And I think women need those roots with their family and men need to be surrounded by their in-laws because in my first marriage, if I had been going through all of that and my dad had witnessed it, he would not have lived another day because that also keeps you in check. Like, no, you're not going to talk to my daughter like that. You're not going to disrespect her. So I think when we took away multi-generational living, I think that set us up for spiritual warfare on a level that nobody even thinks about anymore. And what's the go-to for men? That was long. The scarecrow for for men, Chris, just quickly, is the mother-in-law is always the worst person in the world. The mother-in-law was evil personified. That's always the message you get as a guy. My mother-in-law was fantastic, the most wonderful woman ever. Sorry, Chris, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I'm so glad that you laid all that out because that's that's been my position. And when I left my my old life, God told me to move back in with my parents, which was humiliating to me. And I had to suffer through all the, you know, you're not a man, you're just living with your parents. And at the time, you know, I was paying rent in a place I wasn't living. So I didn't have money. And the room they let me stay in was pink and had baby toys in it. So uh, it, it was a, a fed me a huge amount of humility that I needed. Uh, but it, it, it's create it. It helped me form this idea that, like they tell us, like you were saying, that you have to move out and be on your own to be an adult. And I'm like, well, what are you learning? You're, you're developing a, a sense of the way that you want things, of absolute control of your space, selfishness, selfishness. Uh, lack of accountability. Like one of the things that I, I hugely benefited from was I knew that if I came home at five o'clock in the morning, my mom was going to be like, "So where were you?" Right. <laughs> Right. And and that helped because there would have been times that I, I would have been out until five o'clock in the morning doing things that I didn't need to. But yeah, I don't think that we we learn anything when we live by ourselves that is actually beneficial to to our growth. And aside from, I mean, not that it's not spiritual, but aside from our soul, think about the outward symptoms that we have now living so far away from family. We have depression we're sick because grandma's not teaching us natural remedies on how to heal ourselves. Um, all of these different things that we have just lost, they're just gone. We see more moms with postpartum depression killing themselves because who's taking care of mom while she's taking care of a baby in a house. Where's her mom? We're working harder than we need to. It's like, Work smarter, not harder. Well, the smarter idea would be you'd live in a small multi-generational community of your own. So there's many hands that perform light work. Right. Uh, at the moment, you ask if, one in your question. households, you've got to do all the work yourself. Am I living with my mother-in-law? Or is she in a separate condo? Well, that's kind of like what I said, where the, the men were told to leave and cleave, because I think... Like, as a boy mom, like, I know that I baby my boys. And I think it's a little bit harder, whereas parents of daughters, I'm way harder on my girl. Like, you know Mm -hmm. better. Like, come on. So, I I don't know. I think that's also different. And then when I grew up on, we had generational land. So, everybody had their own house. Each family unit had their own house. But we were all right there. 
And look at the example yeah, God's not- provided for us in the natural world. The majority of animals, when the young males come of certain age, they leave the pride, they leave the group, the flock, whatever it may be. The males leave and they go and start their own with females from another group. You see it in lions, you see it in birds, all sorts of manner of animals. But we don't see it too often with humans anymore. Well, and we see this with Ruth and Naomi in the Bible when her husband died and she said, your people are my people now. She left with her mother-in-law. She's like, you and I are family. She didn't go back to her own family. She stayed with her husband's mom. And I think that's something powerful, too. I don't know why. I don't know why she didn't go back to her family, but she stayed with her husband's family. I think she had a choice. Um, I think that's a great example that you brought up. I think she exercised a, a choice that she had because even in that same story, um, she was told she could go back and she decided right. to, to stay with her, which I, I well, think she is, told her to go back. Yeah. She said, go back to your family. And she said, no, right. And your, I, I, your people are my people. Well, that That's what I think is, was beautiful was that she, she made that decision. Um, there was something you said earlier though, that, that I, I thought was interesting, which was the leave and cleave part. And I think that, um, I think for a healthy marriage to ensue, there's an element where, um, well, let me, let me step it back a bit. One of the coolest things I, I see in scripture when it comes to marriage is how the marriage model actually models something much deeper, something Christopher was alluding to earlier. And I think it's really cool that there's a parallel between, especially in the Jewish culture, what men were supposed to do, how it echoed what God was doing. So when you would become betrothed or or what we would call engaged, the man would leave and go prepare a place in his father's home to accept his wife. And she would be waiting for the time that the man would come back and normally surprise her and say, "Pooh, hey, I'm back. Let's go. Everything's been made, which is a beautiful echo of what Christ is doing for the church and going to his father's home, preparing a place. And then we'll show back up and say, hey, come with me. I got a place for you. I think that the whole leave and cleave part has to fit within that model. And it wouldn't be possible for her to go with the male who's created a place in his father's home. If she wasn't leaving her, right. her, her parents home and, and that place to go with him. But I think if you're raising as a culture, healthy families, then she can leave. She can go to be a part of his home and still have the, the covering and protection that is necessary right. for her and for him and for the family to grow and mature. I, I right. think that would be, and I fully perfect. believe in that, that leave and cleave, like that's in the Bible. I mean, it says what it says, but I don't think it means what we apply today where we are raised in Texas and we get married and then we move with our spouse to New York. That's right. not what I think it means. I leave and cleave and become your own family unit mm-hmm. with the umbrella of your elders. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're not leaving and shunning our entire family, and well, we're exactly. only going to see him on Christmas. Right. But I think by sense, leave, it, it's talking about the headship and direct authority of the house because it does t- right. tell the man to leave, but then he's also side by side with his dad building a house for his new family. So it's right. not like up and leave, I'll see you later. It's right. just stepping outside right. of that direct headship. 
Well, and then biblically, when a woman gets married, that spiritual covering of her father is then transferred to her husband. And he is now the spiritual guidance. And it could just be spiritually. Leave and cleave and become your own unit. Whereas I'm not accountable for your soul anymore. I mean, I know my dad was grateful for that one. (laughs) (laughs) So this brings us to what you alluded to earlier, uh, Kaylee, with Exodus 2012. Honor your father and your mother and your days may be long in the land that Lord your God is giving you. And that, like we've discussed, it doesn't mean you leave your family behind and you go away to university, you move to a different state, you have a job and you see your parents at Christmas or at Thanksgiving. It's about starting your own family under that umbrella of the greater family, the greater community. Anyone else want to add on to this before we move on to GMA Foods? I was going to ask, do you think it's wrong? You know, for people who are listening that have maybe got very different um, experiences, uh, do you think it's wrong for a person to, let's say, go away to college or move away for for job reasons or maybe they're in the military and they're forced to? Do, do you think that getting think into so. the situation I, that's what I did. is bad? I did. I did it because I needed it for. I don't think I'd be the person I am today if I didn't leave where I was. So I didn't like disown my family when I moved. I talk to them all the time. I go visit them all the time. We FaceTime, we, you know, text each other every day. So there, I'm still very much under the Hamilton umbrella, but I wouldn't have met my husband if I didn't move. I wouldn't have started a brand new life that was much healthier for me if I didn't move. And I know there was a big part to do in me moving to this new state like God's hand was definitely in that because I needed to get away from the situation I was in before. So I think sometimes moving can be a challenge and also just your, whatever it is for you that needs to get done. Like nobody walks the same path, but I still have my family's support. You know, I didn't like disown them. And what's happened now is after I moved, I met my husband and I'm a part of his family now. So I now have grown the amount of support that I have because now I have him and his family here and my family in Ohio and we're all joined together. And so I don't think, I don't think moving to another state away from them is bad if you keep in contact and you still keep that support. And I still like ask them for advice all the time. But I think if you're going to move away and act like they don't exist because you're too cool for them now and you're this, you know, new person who doesn't have to answer to anyone, you're that's when you run into trouble because it's like you still need them at the end of the day for friends come and go boyfriend and girlfriends come and go your family is forever. Your mom is still your mom. Your dad is still your dad, your grandparents. You can't just, oh, well, let me just up and disown them. That's not how it works. Unless it's They're a part different of your... Sorry? Yeah. I was going to say, unless hmm. it flips on you and, and they disown you. Because, I mean, there are some really toxic situations where people have experienced the, the inverse of that. But I think to harmonize what we're all saying, uh, I agree with Kaylee. I, I think that this is... Um, 
I think God's standard is what we've been talking about. And some of these other tangential experiences are probably the exceptions to that, you know, and people have different, different experiences, but as an ideal whole, I would probably say that I I think that exactly what she's saying is probably where the intention is, but scripture does allow for these exceptions. Like even God talks about, you'll, he'll put the orphan in a family. He'll give the widow. Well, even missionaries, right? Like missionaries go and leave. So I don't think it's a one size fit all. Um, I don't think it's black and white, but I do think there needs to be spiritual guidance from your family and a pastor, a spiritual mentor, whoever you have in your life that can tell you, no, I don't think that's a good idea. And then you heed that. So I think there needs to be accountability. Right. Well, it's it's the difference between moving physically and removing yourself. You can move physically within a geography of a a country or a given place, but if you're still connected under that spiritual banner with your family under that umbrella, you haven't removed yourself from family. You've just moved to a physical different space. Well, even the question is, and we also have to, I don't know how many people are actually praying about that specifically for their life to see, Hey God, is this the right move for me? Like culturally, Hey, I'm going, I'm doing the college thing. I want the college experience. I'm getting away. Mom and dad's getting on my nerves and I'm free. I'm 18. I'm out. Bye. You know, that's not necessarily, Hey Lord, this is what I want to do. Tell me what's the smart move here. I'm submitting under your headship, your Lordship. Do I need to stay and stay put? Or are you telling me? And then allow God to speak to you through Right. The elders in your life. Right. right. It's not just mm-hmm. you like, oh, I heard God's voice because this yeah, is what yeah, I yeah, wanted yeah. to say. Right. That's but- very important because y- you will you will see if something is meant to happen or not, because you'll get all these weird roadblocks happening and you're like, well, I'm going to push through and push through and push through. And that's not God. <laughs> that's you just deciding that that's what you're going to do. And you're just running full force to it. That's that's something totally different. I agree with you. And we have to take into consideration the, the, the varying lifestyles. Cause a lot of our scenarios are that our parents are decent people or tolerable people. And it's probably a good idea not to leave them. But there is a bunch of people. Cause Drew, I mean, this whole thing was about the destruction of the nuclear family. There's a lot of people that don't need to pray about whether or not it's a good idea to move away from mom and dad. Like it is a good idea to move away from mom and dad. 100%. So when you were. When you were asking Jason, you know, what about someone that would ask, is it wrong? And I think Christians have a tendency to jump to right and wrong very quickly. That's why I really appreciated when you said that this, this was the standard, right? This is how it's supposed to be. So the further away you get off of that mark, the greater the challenges show up, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's wrong. If your parents are toxic and are um, opening you up to harm and for your own either mental safety or physical safety, you have to leave. There is no part of that that's wrong. Right. You know, it just comes with its challenges because it's off of how God set up the family to function. I'm glad you put it that way. And actually just to, just to kind of make a beautiful point out of what Christopher just said. um, My dad was a crackhead. So he did, meth and crack and heroin and he was on a bunch of pharmaceuticals and um that's why my mom she never divorced him stood by him through all this crack and heroin addiction and everything but she ended up getting cancer and he was doing nothing for her nothing for her so 
I packed my mom's stuff and my stuff in the middle of the night and I put it in the car and I drove to Oklahoma with nothing, nothing, just me, my mom and our stuff in the car, drove from Ohio to Oklahoma to live with my sister. And I feel like I, we gave my mom the most beautiful three last years of her life. And um, it was definitely meant to happen that way. She had gotten so far away from God when we were living in Ohio. She was like, I don't believe in it anymore. Just because of what she had been through. Like, why why God's forsaken me is what she would say all the time. And once we moved to Oklahoma, she got back going to church again. I got back going to church again. We were living with my sister. And we were all working for a Christian company that went out of their way to help us with medical stuff and help us with like the final arrangements for my mom's funeral and just stuff that they didn't have to do. But that's why I always tell people, if you pray about it, sometimes like the spirit just moves you. I didn't know what I was doing that night. I just knew we were getting out. So I just threw stuff in bags as fast as I could and just loaded the car up and just drove and drove, drove 18 hours in a crappy car that was about to fall apart, but it made it. (laughs) And then we got here. And that's why I always say, just let God lead you. Sometimes it's, it's not even an audible thing, but just like a, a force that moves you. And so I left my dad and he's in jail right now. And randomly, like three weeks ago, I got a letter from him and it said his name on it and the correctional facility and his inmate number. And it was this long letter, this apology and blah, blah, blah. And I wrote back to him and I said, I forgive you. I've always forgiven you, but I couldn't live with you and I couldn't see you take mom down with you. And once he gets out, I'll be happy to call him on the phone. I have no hard feelings, but that's just not where I was meant to be. And it's like I said, I met my husband and the rest is history. That's exactly where God was talking to you and you were listening. You may not have known it, but you're listening at a at a level. And that's what Jason was alluding to. It's okay. It's okay to leave households if you are under threat of physical violence, mental violence, all the traumas that we see in, in some families, they happen and there is a place to leave and get out. And it's it's perfectly okay. Moving on now, GMO foods. In Genesis 129, God speaks to Adam and says, And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of the earth, and every tree in which the fruit of the tree is a yielding seed. To it you I shall be your it shall be your food for you. So God has given us everything we're ever going to need. Kaylee alluded to this with home remedies, things that we have just growing in the earth. If we have the perfect system in place already, it begs the question, why has mankind found itself tinkering with the creation of even nature? At its base level, science, everything's natural. It's here for a reason. Is it man trying to improve on what currently exists and trying to create better crop yields and and produce more nutrients food? Or is there something more nefarious to it? I dare say we would go with the latter in that. Definitely <laughs> something more nefarious. I think it it's all- it's sad to me. Go ahead, man. I was just going to say it's sad to me because I, I think one of the, the greatest thinkers in uh, – uh, proprietors of um, articulating thought would be Jordan Peterson. 
He's excellent. The way he breaks things down, and even if you don't agree with his conclusion, like the way that he explains it, you know how he got from point A to B. And in a world that, that is getting dumbed down, I think that's so necessary. But it's unfortunate because he has uh, his, his personal opinion now about the, the food industry is because of the mass amount of people that we've just tried to generate cheaper calories. And now that we have cheaper calories, now we have this, this, um, obesity issue or, you know, the health issues and stuff that come along with it. And I think as smart as he is, he's, he's missing the point. <laughs> You're so close. Right, right. He scratches the surface of what, I think is the entry level for what people need to recognize first. So you're right. He's laying the foundations. He just needs to build the structure on top. And what would that structure be, Christopher? What are we seeing? Well, I think it's a, it's an a, intentional, intentional attack. Like, I mean, even if we just go back, what was it? The, um, I'm, I can't remember the exact date, but it was the study that set up, um, what is it? The, the modern food pyramid and the low fat foods and all of that. So it was based off of a scientific study, but the guy intentionally cherry-picked data and left out different cultures in different countries that didn't fit his narrative um, for the end result. So even though there was a report and it was scientific, there was a particular agenda from the very beginning to craft the, at least the, the marketing of food and the development of diet in the United States. So from, from that point, we can see an agenda. So looking at it and just going how we accidentally got there when it's intentional deceit after decision and uh, corporate takeover, you know, it, it's not an accident how we got here. And I think that's what he misses. Dude, I, yeah, I think I, it's I, even, I, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Drew. Sorry. Sorry. Go ahead, Jason. I, I think it's even more nefarious, dude. I, 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 I You mentioned earlier um, L.A. Marzulli, and he's really famous for saying, you know, you got to take it all the way back to Genesis six and the, 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 the rebel angels, right. The whole thing that happened there with the invasion and everything that they taught man, the occult um, disciplines, which we call sciences today, right. When we talk about science, what many of us don't take into account is a lot of this stuff is influenced by the secret societies and the men of letters and all of that type of advanced education that has its roots back in the esoteric teachings that came about from what the angels taught, the mixing of things, the alchemy, the, the root workings you wouldn't even have the pharmaceutical industry. If, if you didn't have this stuff that they taught, which the Enochian texts refer to as just, they, these were garbage secrets of heaven. These weren't even the really deep things, but they're being used to corrupt, not just mankind, but to corrupt and pervert God's created order. And I think it's so important to recognize that all of this washes down to the stuff that we deal with today. It all distills back down to the fallen angels trying to usurp God's authority, usurp his genius, replace and prove, try to prove to creation that he's not all knowing, all wise, all loving, all powerful. And yo, we can even do it better. And in that whole life doing right. it better, we can also destroy the thing he loves most dearly. And we can get back at him for what he did to us. One in kicking us out for, you know, for the fallen angels, for the demonic spirits, you know, the fact that he sent the flood that killed the giants, the, that dis disembodied their souls and restricted them to this planet and won't he won't allow them into heaven. So they're pissed. You know, you've got the angels that had to see their 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 offspring destroyed. They're pissed. So it's a lot of 
entities are mad at God that are trying to get over and get back at him. And I think this all comes down to even our food, because in a created order by a super powerful, super smart being, everything he makes reflects a characteristic of him, even food. Even the fact that food is designed to pleasure us and sustain us and tie us back into his life giving source. You know, the fact that he's considered the bread of life. Right. And he is the 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 fountainhead. He's the living water, the stuff that we need to survive. He is that point and source. So if you can destroy food. You destroy the relational and reflexive nature that food has on teaching us about our creator. And I think it's perfect embedded right in the agenda i'm, I'm going to ch- i'm going to throw something at you all and see what you think about this i don't think it's just the modern age gmos this has been happening for a very long time we know that selective breeding was the traditional form of gmos we were selectively breeding traits in crops and plants for what we wanted out of it well, that can have a two-pronged approach. We can either create and amplify the positive aspects of food that God's provided or given to us in nature. It can also be used in a negative way. We know that the dark side of, of things, the big bad guy out there, he can't create, he can only destroy or invert what currently exists. Well, a perfect way to invert something that already exists would be selectively breeding something and putting it into our diet that's going to have detrimental effects. And I think one of the biggest ones is... It's wheat, it's corns, anything that's originally developed from a simple grass. Grasses were selectively bred to create foods. We look at the advent of of grain, which developed into bread, and we've seen the physical changes of humanity over time. Um, we, our jaw structure, our bones, we've become less physically strong and perfect in our form just by going on to the advent of grade grain within our food systems that we traditionally never had. We've seen the physical changes in our jaws, our teeth, the rotting of teeth from that. I think that was the the initial step. That was the first way of, in, of the powers that be influencing our diet and our food chain in the past. What do you all think? Mm-hmm, the bread and circuses. And it's also just... There's a story in the Bible, and you guys will probably know what I'm talking about, where some of the soldiers ate a lot of vegetables and some of the soldiers ate all meat. Do you know which story I'm talking about? Yeah, Daniel. Kaylee. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so you do know that. Yeah. But it's like we were never meant to be on these super grainy diets, and then you see all this celiac disease and all this popping up because our bodies literally cannot process it because it's like trying to eat plastic, which they coat all of our fruits and veggies and everything in some sort of weird plastic anyways that our bodies can't mm-hmm. digest. So it gets trapped in your like lower intestine and these parasites grow around it and the parasites basically they shit in your colon and in your gut. And then that is the root cause of all disease in your body. So we're literally getting sick from toxic plastic, non-digestible foods that are in everything. Everything we touch all day has some form of this. And now it's gone to the point where it's beyond meat. Okay. Let's, let's just start off. 
and I said this before, but fast food chain restaurants are the biggest procurers of glitter of any other company, period. What are they doing with the glitter? What is this beyond meat? We're literally eating plastic. And we wonder why we're so sick. Well, the mechanism for this beyond meat to make it grow so quickly is literal cancer cells. The the uh, immortal cells, like yeah. what Jason was talking about, which, by the way, they got those from a lady named Henrietta Lacks, who had this immortal cancer yeah, cell yeah. line growing in her reproductive system, and they harvested those cells. And it's a whole thing. People need yeah. to look into it, but it was Henrietta Lacks. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, that's sparking a thing because I only listened to Celeste Solemn talk about that one time, but I do remember uh, Mm -hmm. going going over that. Drew, I'm stuck between what Drew just said and something you just said, uh, Julia, that's got my mind going in two different directions at the same time. So, Drew, you were saying, do you do you think that it started right then with the the wheat and the grains? I I think that I don't think it started. Not well. I think it's. I think it's not just a modern take on things, just like what we've seen, how the fallen ones saw the daughters of men and thought they were beautiful and, and bore children with them. The, the genetic attack on everything on God's creation was done to everything. It was done to the food. It was done to the plants, the things we engage with, we interact with. It was done on a grand scale of all of God's creation. And it happened in our food as well. It's not just the modern day GMO tinkerings through science. Exactly. I think those fallen ones, those, dark entities they've done it to elements of the food that we would consider organic i think it's, it happened somewhere it, along the lines i think it happened in the garden all the way back genesis 3 because i think it's so yep. interesting that god that this whole thing is situated on food so i've got it we've got two trees they're producing mm. fruit eat of this tree don't eat of this tree Mm-hmm. Then you get offered a different type of food. You know, Christopher and I did this whole episode on on um, cosmic trees and the whole implication behind even the tree and what it meant. But there was to to boil it all down. It wasn't just the physical tree that we would think about in Western theology. It was also um, indicative of a government like there was an actual offer. You can join me and my government and all you have to do is take this thing eat this particular food. This is a different type of food than what God has made for you. Now here we wind, we go forward. What? 6,000 years later, that's the same thing that's happening. A different type of food is being created and offered up to us to consume. That is not natural. And with it, it is changing us and it's ushering us into a different kingdom. Uh, Celeste Solomon, this is getting back to moving over to what Julia said to have my mind on another track. Celeste Solon was actually talking about how uh, I believe it was the World Economic Forum. It may not have been them. One of these dastardly little uh, groups. But they talked about how they wanted to change the entire food supply and code it with nanotech. And they said by the they came out, I believe it was the end of 2021, 2022, and said they've actually accomplished it. Like through chemtrails, through spraying of nanoparticles, through the whole manipulation, genetically modified organism, all of that, they've actually been successful at changing the entire food supply so that it's not natural, so that it contains microparticles, microplastics, so that it contains things that actually eat us from the inside out. 
And I was like, oh, okay, that's a little morbid. And I'm eating a Chick-fil-A sandwich. So what do I do? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Speaking of Chick-fil-A, real quick, (laughs) this girl who does my nails, she has a friend who works. This sounds like a made up story. I promise it's not, though. My nail girl has a friend who works at the corporate office for one of these Chick-fil-A chains. And a few months ago, she was like, whatever you do, don't eat Chick-fil-A for the next like six months. And I said, why? And she said, it's not chicken and just left it all ominous like that. And I said, (laughs) what do you mean? It's not chicken. And she said, just trust me. Don't eat Chick-fil-A for the next six months. And the first thing my mind goes to is all this stuff that we talk about with the glitter and the XYZ, the, their chickens are growing tumors all over them. And this is the stuff that we're eating and they just do stuff to it to make us find it delicious. They probably based it in, uh, what's that okay. stuff? Like probably. 30 different ingredients, most of them chemical. And I, I, most MSG, MSG, is, that's what it is. Sorry, it's chemical food science. You know, really, which gets back to, mm-hmm. in my opinion, a lot of the alchemy that was done in the occult. You know, we're changing this so that it it is like that. You know, and it, it's really a lie. But uh, what I appreciated about what Celeste was saying, it wasn't just the eye opening fact of this is what they're doing because that can lead people to feel hopeless. I love the fact that after she explained this, she said, "Listen, you have to." develop a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. Like she was like, my prayer life has totally changed the way I pray about my food. I was like, Oh man, good food. Good meat. Come on, Lord, let's eat. Like that's not going to cover it anymore. (laughs) I'm going to have to really actually sincerely pray and structure that prayer to deal with specific things that could be in that food, toxins, spirits attached to it, stuff I don't want in my body, you know, nanoparticles, nanotech things that stay with me once ingested. And she was like, you're going to have to really rely on God to filter that out. And I was like, this is wild. It's a totally different world than what I grew up. And I think people makes a lot of sense, though. Yeah, I think people have to change their thinking and be ready for that, because where we're going, I mean, where we're at is not is not the end all. It's it's still going places. They have other plans. And like now I've changed how I pray about my food. I've changed when I when I'm looking at what I'm eating, what I'm thinking about as I'm consuming it. You know, I'm thankful I live in a country mm-hmm. where I do have abundance of food, uh, but it ain't healthy food. <laughs> you know, a lot of it is done towards fat cats. No pun intended. You know, the idea the the amount of greed that is going into the food production process and ultimately the destruction of humanity that's intended by the spirits that are over those specific industries. And I'm like, it's spiritual warfare just sitting down and having having a sandwich let alone an apple that's coated in plastic you know all of this stuff is designed mm-hmm. to 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 impede my relationship with god and it like i was saying earlier it makes sense when it's looked at from genesis 3 when i'm considering that all of this happened back in the garden it makes sense that we would be under the attack that we're under now and i think again people have to realize if we don't have god's supernatural power helping us we're not going to make it through this because it's designed to kill us. That's what I was talking about earlier with your body, giving you signs that you're doing something wrong Mm -hmm. and you have certain side effects from that. It's the same thing with the food. I rail on people all the time, the importance of cleansing your colon. 
whether you go get colonics or you do like manual flushes. I have a website that I recommend to people where you can buy a supplement that flushes it right out. It's a four week program. And I had a guy come on and was talking about it. You can actually do an enema. I can walk you through it, but I don't think you would enjoy that. I don't think your husband but, would appreciate that new development in our relationship. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I've walked him through many, but listen. <laughs> if you don't cleanse your colon, I swear, I had this guy talk, talking to me about it on my podcast, and he said, if you look at the parasites that live in your gut, they literally look like the demons from the Old Testament, like really? straight up cloak and dagger demon faces on these parasites. Really? And they're living inside you. Yes. And you're getting it from the food. If you don't flush that out, they stay inside you for years and years and years. And that's what causes so much weird symptoms, so many weird symptoms in your body. New well, and that also affects you spiritually. Well, Probably makes you more susceptible to spiritual attack. Yes, because there's the mind-gut connection. A lot of people who are suffering from depression got a messed up gut and they don't know why they're depressed. It's because of the stuff that they're eating, the parasites living in their gut. They think that they need to be on Zoloft and all these antidepressants. They don't. They need to do a colon cleanse. Jason, listen to me. I'll send you the website. You got to cleanse that colon. Wait a minute. Why are you singling me out and amongst a group of four other people? You were just talking about Chick fil A. Because you're you a single man. We have wives that can help us out. You were talking about Chick fil A, and I know you've been eating some parasites. You know what, Julia? I came on this show to have a wonderful conversation about marriage, GMOs, and some other crap. What I did not intend was somehow I'm getting a colon cleanse at the end of this. Drew, you set me up, man. I don't appreciate it. Every single person on this yeah. podcast needs to do a colon cleanse. You need to get them parasites up out of ya. But uh, going back to to what I was saying earlier, your body will give you signs. Depression is a sign. Inflammation is a sign. Uh, headaches, fatigue, always needing a nap, groggy, foggy. Like those are all signs that you have parasites in your gut mm. from food. Hmm. No longer hungry. I had one other. I had one other scripture that I wanted to tie to like. The genetic modification of food. Please, anything, Chris. Uh, numbers third. <laughs> anything, anything to save you? Anything. <laughs> I'm like hungry. Uh, numbers can't 30- eat anything, Thanks to Julia. <laughs> <laughs> when numbers uh, thirteen twenty two is talking about the um, Israelite conquest of of the Promised Land, it says they went up through the Negev and came to Hebron, and I don't know how to pronounce half of these, but essentially it's where the descendants of Anak dwelt. It says it had been built seven years before Zoan and Egypt. It says when they came to the Valley of Eshkol, they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes, which they carried on a pole between two men. So here where you have actual Nephilim and they've, they've seeded literally the ground for seven years, they've been altering the, the natural food source and a single cluster of grapes has to be carried on a pole between two dudes. Like that is some big grapes. I just think it's crazy. So, you know, going back all the way to, to Genesis and moving forward, this is definitely part of the, the Nephilim or satanic agenda that we see unfolding in our streets today. And Julia, are you getting the covenant flashbacks of the giant wheat? Hmm? Are you getting the, the covenant flashbacks of the giant wheat when they land on the planet? 
Yeah, because Drew and I did a breakdown on the Alien movies, and that was part of it, the the wheat and the influence that they've had. And you know what? We talked about that in The Witcher, too. Mm. You remember that? I do, yeah. So I think the grain is very significant in some way, but they make things appetizing to us. My Sam's Club has cotton candy flavored grapes. Oh, they're so and good. They're so freaking good. <laughs> they're so Full good. Of poison. It's just like even the apple. You want this stuff. That's why I tell everyone it's not a, even a scary thing. People are looking for like a razor blade in the apple. It's not that obvious. It's cotton candy flavored grapes that are great frozen, by what the way. What about that uh, Heck 213? What? 213 what? I think it was uh, um, uh, Ryan who did an episode oh, talking that. about... About aborted uh, fetal cells in yeah, in yeah. Coke and Pepsi and a lot. Yeah, yeah, human embryo kidney cell two thirteen or, or whatever, where they actually take this um this this the, this tissue that Drew was talking about and they use it as flavor enhancing in our food. And they've been doing it for Nestle a while. for sure. And I'm like, oh, that is so. so think gross. think about all the stuff that Nestle owns: coffee creamer, you name it. Nestle has a wide variety of products, and they're one of the biggest ones. And brands. Mm-hmm. Like, and they water. have so many brands under them. They they use this aborted fetal cell line in lawn comb products for your face. The skincare line. They also use this stuff that's that they take off of the spinal cord of children who have spina bifida and it's called spina bifida and they suck it's a little sack that grows on the the kid's spine and they suck the stuff out of it and they put it in beauty regimens uh like long comb in some of these it it's actually like a one of those anti-aging things but they do this procedure Hmm. where they do it at shriners and there's so many links with the Shriners Hospital. And this is where mm-hmm. the main source of these surgeries are coming from. Well, we, we talked about um, the Shriners a little bit, but the whole idea of um, dualism and the fact that they believe that, you know, that you have to do an equal amount of good things and evil things to, to balance out your life. And then just on the podcast, it kind of hit us and we were like, wait a minute. So all of these groups that are doing all of this altruistic stuff like the Shriners and the hospitals, it means they're doing that much evil stuff that you can't see. And that's just, that's scary. Like the Mm -hmm. local Mason Lodge gave $30 million to the children's hospital. What's the $30 million worth of evil stuff they've done then? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that, uh, there was, um, in 1988, the Freemasons in Massachusetts, I think it's Massachusetts, started mychip.org to chip children to make sure they don't go missing. To always yeah, have a database so people can buy the children they want easier. Yeah. Right. In the fields. So I want blonde. I want them to be freckled and blue eyes. Oh, look, mm-hmm. 60,000 matches. I'll take that one. They want to chip dogs too for whatever reason. I just when I took my new I puppy to the vet, they, they wanted to chip my dog. I think anything that they do to pets is to normalize and get it in the forefront of our mind. So then we will do it to ourselves. I, right, we've vaccines, been doing it for dogs for twenty pets. years. Why are you afraid? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. They also offered me for only thirty dollars more. I could get a canine influenza. 
vaccine because my dog's going to get the flu somehow and it could be deadly. And I said, I'll take my chances. And that just upset his apple cart. And they offered you a flu shot for your dog so he doesn't get the flu. But dogs eat their own crap. Do they have an anti-crap? Shot? <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying, I Precisely. think our priorities are a little off here. Right. I'm like, no. I'm down with the rabies. I'm down with kennel cough. I'm down with any canine, whatever, parvovirus. I know puppies do get parvovirus. Like, I'm down with that stuff because I know about that stuff. The flu for dogs, he literally just licked up a puddle of Loki's piss 10 seconds ago. I think he's You better good. do a COVID test. Right. <laughs> That'll be the next thing. They'll want to put the little thing up my dog's nose. And- <laughs> oh, my God. And we, we've been harping on, like, the uh, medical industrial complex. So I've got to tell this, this story real quick. But when my wife first got pregnant, the um, OB that she had was – I didn't realize how crazy she was. But my, my wife drives a school bus. Your wife So she was asked – my wife drives a school bus. No, which one was crazy? Isn't that what I said? It's crazy. <laughs> No, you said you didn't realize she was... My wife drives a school bus. He's avoiding the question. question. He's playing it safe. (laughs) (laughs) But so she drives a school bus and she was asking the doctor, she's like, should I be concerned at all about, you know, the bouncing and stuff and the jarring, you know, the later we get into pregnancy. And the the doctor, right? The trust, the science, we put our lives in their hands. Doctor said, well, our ancestors, this is what she said. Our ancestors used to swing from trees. So I'm pretty sure your baby, your baby will be fine in a school bus. Next. Yeah, I, wow. I was like, I don't even know where to start on how to break down the insanity of what you just said. So we didn't go back. <laughs> That's how Good you choice. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. So that was, Dude, luckily, probably, that was the thing to push my wife into home birth. So that was awesome. Yeah, she's probably also one of those OBGYNs who thinks, you know, babies can come from buttholes and They're called bonus holes now, by the way. They're called what? bonus holes. Vaginas are called bonus holes, so you can't. Oh, are they? Gotta be more inclusive. The vagina is the bonus, which makes the behind <laughs> the, the the standard. <laughs> Everything's being wow. inverted. Everything. That's a problem. <laughs> That's nuts. A big that problem. is a problem. Wow. Unless sure. you're having a colon cleanse, Jason, and then you know just put it in whatever hole you got. <laughs> No, no, Drew. Drew, I'm sitting there and I'm imagining like the dude this first night, he gets down there and he looks and he's like, you got two? You got a bonus <laughs> Oh, woman, you was off the chain. I didn't know you came with additions. This, your daddy didn't tell me this. I gotta write him a letter. Salutations and greetings. Thank you for having a daughter with two. This is amazing. I don't even know what to do with A bonus hole. Oh, well, how many young guys out there find a girl that only has one hole? Well, no. And right. Wait, wait, Drew. But then you're not having a good time. Drew, you got to go talk to the elders. You got to be like, did y'all like come with a bonus hole? I'm sorry, son. What? <laughs> what are you talking about? I'm just, it's a lot we got to talk about, Father. Let's sit down. <laughs> That's wild. Oh, my God. That's a so wait, I want to give mine back. I want to <laughs> give mine back because I have all these bonus problems once a month that come along with it. Yeah, I think if anybody in the transgender community who wanted to be a woman had PCOS, periods, childbirth pains, I think they'd switch their tune real quick. I know. They would say, I, I didn't think this through. Um, let's let's appropriating my regroup. culture. 
Right? That's hilarious. So, so where does it end with the GMO stuff? Like some of the names are that nefarious. Is it going to get to the point where it's going to be called Additive 666 Don't Eat a Mayo? Like how bad right. is this stuff getting? Bad. Well, I've read on bad. some labels already. Like um, I'm pregnant. I've been very sick. I can't eat a lot of things. And I got some trail mix. And on the back of the trail mix after I'd eaten half the bag, um, it said bioengineered food product. So it just, I mean, at least it's on there, I guess. And then I <laughs> saw um, something on Facebook today where Campbell's Soup now has that bioengineered, bioengineered. ingredients. That just been making destroys soup for all my preps I've got. 50 years. Like, why wow. all of a sudden do you need this in it? I think though it goes back though to the World Economic Forum because uh, one of the the things we Christopher and I were talking about uh, the other week was the fact that a lot of these companies are being forced to comply with certain standards based on you know the CEIs and DEIs and all and ESGs, and so they're not going to get their funding unless they agree to produce food in a certain way that's consistent with you know environmentally sustainable sustainability but really it translates into we really want to change the world in the way that we see it for our overlords and we hold the purse strings we hold the money and so if you want to continue business you're going to do what we want you to do which is start changing your your food start producing the the impossible burger they'll eat it meanwhile we got a show like snow (laughs) piercing we're running around seeing people eating blocks of insects I'm like, there is no way you could get humanity to eat blocks of insects. Oh, I spoke too soon. <laughs> yeah, right. apparently we're on our you know way. What? I'm so mad that I I did that episode with you and never made the connection to forcing GMO food as far as uh, and because of sustainability. So I'm I'm a little embarrassed about that. Got to get that ASJ score. Right. Doesn't matter what right. you do. You got to make that score. It's wild. That's crazy. Absolutely well, wise. this has been an absolutely fantastic conversation today, guys. Like you said, it's so multifaceted and these things intertwine and feed off each other. It's a much bigger, bigger spiritual war that we're all involved in. And I don't think people quite understand how deep and far it really goes. Let's go around the panel and let us know where we can find your work and how we can reach you. Start off with you, Julia. Thanks, uh, Drew. This has been a blast. I'm Julia. I have the Cosmic Peach podcast available wherever you listen to podcasts and YouTube, or you can just go to CosmicPeachPodcast.com and you'll find all the links there. Christopher, go for it. We are uh, Jason and Christopher with Operation Red Pill. Uh, you can find us on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, all the normal places. And you can find our website at orppodcast.com. Awesome, Kylie. Now you have to do ours. Let's see how well you do. Oh, no. I'm not bad at that. I always forget the name. <laughs> so, and I came up with it. Podcast. I came up with it. <laughs> Y'all, I have 500 kids. I'm sorry. That's okay. You uh, just have to say I'm- line. And I'll fade you the line and it'll work. <laughs> um, give a like a teleprompter. Um, I'm Kaylee and you can find me at That Retro Homestead. And Drew and I have a podcast. And I'm sure if you're listening to this one, you can find that one. The Homeroom Educating Educators. And that was Boom. totally Kaylee using my voice. <laughs> <laughs> Tape shifter. Thanks again, everybody. Um, who would like to end this one with a prayer? 
Anyone? Go for it. Come on. Any takers? Jason, I volunteer you as tribute. You know what? That's twice. <laughs> That's twice. I'm really starting to feel some sort of personal attack here. Me and your husband are going to have a talk <laughs> no, with you later. It's, it's, it's your parasite. It's, not it's respect. Dear you Lord. might need a prayer after the whole colon thing. So. Oh, no, no, I got a prayer. <laughs> Dear Lord, I, I thank you for protecting me against Julia and all of her vicious attacks. <laughs> Dear Father. <laughs> now, Lord, we, we thank you for for your love, your your kindness. Thank you for everything that you provide for us, your sustaining power and the fact that you have gone from yesterday, today into the present. You know everything that's going to happen to us. You've provided an answer. We thank you for that sacrificial provision in the form of Jesus Christ and everything that he provides. Uh, I thank you for the people who are listening. Ask that you will be with them. Um, that any questions or concerns that they have, that they, you will put them in connection with different sources so they can get answers to that. But most importantly, for anybody who's listening that doesn't know you, that you will put people in their path to introduce them to your son, the most important thing that we could know and have in our life. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, everybody, thank you, and catch you next time. See ya. Deuces. <laughs>